was probably the fifth or the sixth grade, one of the first years that I had a male teacher, that the teacher was frustrated with the class I was in, and the teacher made the statement, you all are playing the fool. I presume that some of you have had children who've gone to school, picked up words that they brought home, and they've tried to use them before their parents and found out that's a word you don't use. During that period of time, after that teacher made that comment, we went to lunch, and you can imagine a bunch of fifth or sixth grade boys, you're the fool. You're the fool. I came home and tried to use that on my sister. And I found out very quickly that as a child, I was forbidden to use the word fool. And the reason being is the passage that Brother Kevin just read to us a few moments ago. I want to read it again. The New King James reading says, But I say to you, whoever is angry with his brother without a cause shall be in danger of judgment. And whoever says to his brother, Rekha, shall be in danger of the council. But whoever says, you fool, shall be in danger of hell fire. Because of this verse, my parents said, you will not call one another a fool. In fact, they were very strict that this was just as bad of a word as any of the other four-letter words that you might hear. As you look at this text, the word reka is an Aramaic word, which means a person who's empty-headed. And the word fool comes from the Greek word moros, from which we get our English word moron, which describes a person who is slow in their understanding, slow in their thinking. These are really synonyms, if you will. They're words to call a person empty-headed, stupid, moron, and things such as that. But you know, the Bible vividly describes those who are playing the fool. I think particularly as I read the New Testament, and I read about the Greek mind that Paul often refers to, as he says that the message of the cross, the word of the cross, to the Jews is a stumbling block. But to the Greeks, it is foolishness. You see, the world is caught up with it. In doing my own personal Bible study a few weeks ago, well, really now, probably a few months ago, I was trying to read through the book of Psalms as much as possible in one sitting. And this term, every time I would read it, kept coming back to me. And so this morning, what I want us to do is I want us to look at just three of the relevant passages that are found in the book of Psalms. And here's what we're going to do. We're going to look at Psalms 14 and the atheist, Psalms 49 and the affluent, and then Psalm 73, the analyst. And if you will, I want to ask you to keep your Bibles open to those passages, and we'll go through them 
because we're not going to consider every verse, but we're going to try to see the message that is found there. Let's begin with Psalms chapter 14, verses 1 through 7. As the sweet singer of Israel, David, writes in this psalm, The fool has said in his heart, There is no God. They are corrupt. They have done abominable works. There is none who does good. The Lord looks down from heaven upon the children of men to see if any are there, or there are any, who understand, who seek God. They have all turned aside. They have together become corrupt. There is none who does good, no, not one. Have all the workers of iniquity no knowledge who eat up my people as they eat bread and do not call upon the Lord? They are in great fear, for God is with the generation of the righteous. You shame the counsel of the poor, but the Lord is in his refuge. Oh, that the salvation of Israel would come out of Zion. When the Lord brings back the captivity of his people, let Jacob rejoice and Israel be glad. One is a fool who just takes the existence of God and says that didn't happen. If that is the case, and the Bible clearly teaches it is, there are literally thousands of people today who have come into the category of foolish. It's not me who is calling them that. It is God, through inspiration of David, calls them that. But I want you to notice where it is that this fool says there is no God. The fool says in his heart there is no God. Do you realize that this part of man that is capable of reasoning, understanding, and thinking has decided, I'm not going to acknowledge God at all. Now, when I go to Psalms 24 and verse 4, David is describing the man that is acceptable to God, and he said, He who has clean hands and a pure heart, who has not lifted up his soul to an idol nor sworn deceitfully, the kind of man that God looks for is a person who is pure and honest in his heart. David would say in Psalm 26, verse 2, Examine me, O Lord, prove me, try my mind and my heart. Chapter 27, verses 13 and 14, I would have lost heart unless I had believed that I would see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait on the Lord, be of good courage, and he will strengthen your heart. Wait, I say, on the Lord. Some of us need to simply take time to think about the world in which we live. And if you do not think carefully, you might miss one of the most important aspects of this creation. But you know, the heart... When a man says in his heart there is no God, that will affect his behavior. In the book of Proverbs 4, verse 23, Solomon said, Keep 
your heart with all diligence. For out of it are the issues of life. In Matthew 12, verse 35, Jesus said, A man out of the good treasure of his heart brings forth good things, and an evil man out of the evil treasure of his heart brings forth evil things. It's clear that whatever is in my heart is what's going to exhibit itself in my life. You see people who are joyful. You see people who are devoted, who are loving, who are faithful to God, and you see people who are unrighteous and evil and wicked, and you can know the difference is what is within their heart. As you go back to Psalm 14, he said, they are all corrupt. The word corrupt here is the same word for the souring of milk or the rotting of an apple. People who have allowed their lives to become sour. There are people who look around you and all they see is bad. And that corrupts them. All they see is something that is involving people who are suffering and they wonder and they postulate in their minds there can't be a God. But I want you to look at verses 4 through 6 with me because he's going to talk about how they will treat the righteous. Notice some of the things that he says. They eat them like bread. Just like a person would sit down and eat bread, these people consume... The poor, he said, they put them in great fear. They try to instill fear within their hearts. He talks about they shame their counsel. As you read through that and you say, how does this look like today? The people in our society today who deny God feel like they have the upper hand, and in many ways they do legally. Because of the rulings of the courts of our land, because of the way many of our legislators have given up and given in, many places being a Christian, doing what is right, has become something bad. And everything that we try to say, our counsel is considered to be shameful. If you say that some sort of behavior is contrary to the will of God, people will somehow want to shame you as if you don't know what's right or wrong. Literally, they've taken what is good and made it evil. They've taken what is evil and made it good. I want you to listen to one of the prophets, Amos, in Amos chapter 8, and see if he doesn't describe this kind of situation Hear this, you who swallow up the needy and make the poor of the land fail, saying, when will the new moon be passed and that we may sell grain and the Sabbath that we may trade wheat, making the ephah small and the shekel large, falsifying the scales by deceit, that we might buy the poor for silver and the needy for a pair of sandals, even sell the bad wheat. The Lord has sworn in by the pride of Jacob, surely I will never forget their works. There was a time in which days of worship were respected. There was a time when on Sunday you would not have businesses open to buy and sell and trade because they respected this as a day of worship. There was a time when you didn't have any ball practices scheduled on Wednesday evenings because people knew that you would be going to 
Bible study. No longer today. In fact, notice what verse 5 says. When will the new moon be passed that we may sell grain in the Sabbath that we may trade wheat? Notice the dishonesty of making the ephah, the measure small and the shekel large, making the price higher. Why do they do that? Verse 6, that they might buy the poor for silver and the needy for a pair of shoes and then even sell bad wheat. God sees this. The world thinks today we don't even have to consider God in the way we do business. We don't have to consider God in the way we trade. We don't have to be responsible for honesty and integrity. And it's showing in our society. And our society has become foolish. But there's a picture given in the last few verses of verses 4 through 6. And that is this idea of something coming out of Zion that will bring back Israel and Judah. Micah chapter 4 verse 2 says, Many nations shall come and say, Come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob. He will teach us his ways, and we will walk in his paths. For out of Zion the law goes forth, and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. You go to the New Testament, Romans 11 and verse 26, And so all Israel will be saved, as it is written, the Deliverer will come out of Zion, and He will turn away the ungodliness of Jacob. The picture is, Jesus is something that those who are so foolish as to deny God's existence cannot deny. He was here. He lived a perfect life. He rose from the dead, and He is the great Deliverer of man. How can one deny that there is a God in heaven? In Romans 1, 18 through 22, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth and unrighteousness, because what may be known of God is manifest in them, for God has shown it to them. For since the creation of the world, His invisible attributes are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even His eternal power and Godhead so that they are without excuse. Because although they knew God, they did not glorify Him as God, nor were thankful, but became futile in their thoughts, and their senseless heart was darkened, professing themselves to be wise. They became fools. The foolish man has said in his heart, there is no God. Number two, let's look at the affluent. The affluent in Psalm 49 refers to people who are of wealth. And here's the way the psalmist puts it. Those who trust in their wealth and boast in the multitude of their riches, none of them by any means can redeem his brother nor give to God ransom for him. For the redemption of their souls is costly, and it shall cease forever. That he should continue to live eternally and not see the pit. For he sees wise men die, likewise the fool and the senseless person perish, and leave their wealth to others. Their inner thoughts is their houses will last forever. 
their dwelling place to all generations. They call their lands after their own names. Nevertheless, man, though in honor, does not remain. He's like the beast that perish. Now this is the way of those who are foolish and of their posterity who approve of their sayings. If you read that over and over again, one of the things that keeps coming back to you is clearly there are some things that money can't buy. Money can't buy life. I have sat with family at the bedside of those who are dying. And I've sat with those people who are so poor that they have no idea how they will pay the hospital bill when their loved one passes. I have also sat there with people who could probably buy a whole wing of a hospital if they wanted to. And yet, neither of them have the power by their money to say, Make my loved one live. You can't buy that. The truth is they can't take it with them either. Not only is their money powerless, they can't take that money with them. They have to leave it to others. Their money cannot guarantee that their name will survive either. He said they call their lands after their names. Back earlier this year, we went to Istanbul, Turkey, Some of you may know that the former name of Istanbul was Constantinople after the Emperor Constantine. Constantine is dead and gone. He was perhaps one of the most powerful men of the world at his time. That land's not known by his name anymore. You can't buy eternal reputation either. Listen to Psalm 49, 16 through 20. Do not be afraid when one becomes rich, when the glory of his house is increased. For when he dies, he shall carry nothing away. His glory shall not descend after him. Though he lives, he blesses himself, for men will praise you when you do well for yourself. He will go to the generation of his fathers. They shall never see light. A man who is in honor yet does not understand is like the beast who perishes. Folks, I want you to notice verse 18. Men will praise you when you do well for yourself. People will try to make you think you are doing fine for yourself. That does not continue. It's foolish to trust in the temporary. There are so many passages of Scripture to which I could refer 1 Timothy chapter 6, verses 9 and 10 talks about the love of money being the root of all kinds of evil. Verses 17 through 19 tells the rich not to trust in the riches, but in the living God who gives us richly all things to enjoy. He said, let them do good, be rich in good works, ready to give, willing to share, storing up for themselves a good foundation for the time to come that they may lay hold on eternal life. Proverbs 23, 5 says that riches make like wings and leave us. Matthew 6, 19 through 21, Jesus describes it as being a place where moth and rust corrupt, where places like thieves can break through and steal. And then he concludes by saying, lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven 
Where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Now, in the few minutes I have left, I want to take Psalm 73. The analyst. In verses 1 and 2, the analyst, the psalmist says, Truly God is good to Israel, to such as are pure in heart, but as for me, my feet almost had stumbled, my steps nearly slipped. You drop down with me to verse 21 and 22. Thus my heart was grieved, and I was vexed in my mind. I was foolish and ignorant. I was like a beast before you. He starts out the beginning of the section by saying, I almost made the wrong choice. When he ends the section, he said, I was like a beast. I was just making my decisions based on pure animalistic desires. Some people analyze the status of other people and make the decision of whom they will follow. For instance, some of our young people look up and they see some of these music stars, rock stars, and they think, oh, I'd love to be like them. They have all this money. They have fame. They have whatever they want. I want to be like them. Sometimes we see people in our community who are extremely wealthy. And we look at them and we say, I wish I had what they have. But most of the time we're making superficial judgments. We're not looking past just the glitter and the glamour that we see. John 7, 24, Jesus said, Judge not according to appearance, but judge righteous judgment. Paul in 2 Corinthians 10, 7 warns the Corinthians about making these superficial outward judgments of him and others. It's a mistake to look at an outcome and always assume that that person is doing what is right. You know, Solomon said in Ecclesiastes 9.11, I saw that the race was not to the swift, nor the battle to the strong, nor bread to the wise, nor riches to men of understanding, nor favor to men of skill, but time and chance happens to them all. Sometimes you can have someone who's a whole lot smarter, a whole lot more talented, a whole lot stronger, not win, simply because of circumstances beyond their control. But now verses 3 through 14, and I'm going to move swiftly through this. Here's the way the psalmist sees life and analyzed it. He said, For I was envious at the boastful when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. For there's no pangs in their death, but their strength is firm. They're not in trouble like other men, nor are they plagued like other men. Therefore pride serves as their necklace, and violence covers them like a garment. Their eyes bulge with abundance. They have more than their heart could wish. They scoff and speak wickedly concerning oppression. They speak loftily. They set their mouth against the heavens, and their tongue walks through the earth. Therefore his people here are like are waters of a full cup which are drained by them. And they say, how does the most high know? And is there knowledge in the most high? Behold, these are ungodly who are always at ease. They increase in riches. Surely I have cleansed my heart in vain and washed my hands in innocence. 
For all day long I have been plagued and chastened every morning. Here's a man saying, as I look at the wealthy people, as I look at the arrogant people, they're doing well and I'm not. They seem to have a much better life. Their philosophy is name it and claim it. I want this, I'll take it. Like Naboth and his vineyard that Ahab wanted. I'm going to take that vineyard because it's something that I want. They have what they want and do not have what they do not want. That's the analyst picture of things. It seems as if trying to be good only brings suffering and grief. Now let me summarize this with verses 15 through 17. If I had said, I will speak thus, behold, I would have been untrue to a generation of your children. When I thought how to understand this, it was too painful for me until I went into the sanctuary of God and then I understood their end. The analyst finally wisely considered more than just what he sees in this life. And it was painful to force him to think beyond this life. It's so much easier to just look at today and say, today's okay, I'm going to take care of what I have. But it's only when we understand the end that we are able to make a proper analysis. It's only then we're able to see life as it really is. And one is incredibly foolish only to analyze what we have in the here and the now. Oh, I'm happy today, but what will you be tomorrow? You look at the rich man and Lazarus, a man who is superficial, only looks at what he saw in Lazarus's life. He saw suffering. And he sees in the rich man, he sees all the great that he's enjoying. No one likes playing the part of the fool. No one likes being called a fool. To avoid that, don't be foolish. Don't be like the atheist to deny God. Don't be like the affluent and trust in your riches. Don't be like the analyst and only look superficially. Such wisdom helps us make right choices. As Moses did when he chose to share suffering with the people of God than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season. If you'll take your song book out now, we're going to sing the encouragement song. For those of you who might need to obey the gospel, you're not a Christian yet. You must believe in Jesus the Christ, repent of your sins, confess your faith in him, and be baptized. That's wisdom. That's not foolish. If you are a Christian and you look at your life and you see there's sin there and it needs to be dealt with, we want to urge you this morning to address that in your life. If you need to confess it publicly, we'll assist you and pray with you. Would you come as we stand and sing together?